You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm Nathan. Dan. And joining us tonight is very, very special guest, Matt Mercer. Say hello, Matt. Hello, guys. It's me. Oh, oh right. I forgot. <laughs> we're, we're doing a Sexy Todd podcast. Hello and welcome to Sexy Monsters podcast. Right. Hi, I'm Matt. Welcome to Sexy Monsters. That was creepy. Never mind. I'm sorry. That's not the way I wanted to start that. Uh, how are you guys doing? Uh, d- doing? Doing well. How are you doing, man? I have missed you. It has been no. almost a solid year since I've I've seen your lovely face. Um, and and yeah, I I am super excited that you're here tonight because of a few reasons. One. We just love you here on Video Monsters, and and you're the best. Ow. And any time that you get to join us, it's like, yay, Matt's here. Number two, <laughs> uh, this is our first review in our Horror in Motion series for Halloween, mm. or as Eric has termed it, transportation exploitation, or <laughs> as I have continued to update it. Let me see uh, what the current full name of it is. <clears throat> Transportation Exploitation, a Video Monsters presentation on meditation of life cessation en route to destination. The intention was a celebration of vaccination and a return to ability to take a vacation, but it's now an outlet of frustration due to hesitation of intellection and lack of consideration of mass population intensified by the previous administration, resulting in repetition of isolation. And that was a whole lot of verbal masturbation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that was a lot i will take that as a congratulation <laughs> uh yes our our horror in motion series where we're focusing on horror movies that center around vehicles uh and and tonight we're talking about duel which i am super f-ing excited about but the third reason that i am so glad that you're here tonight matt this mm. is our 300th episode whoa yeah Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Congratulations. Uh, 300 episodes is a major, that's a landmark <laughs> major accomplishment. Uh, it, congratulations. And I'm very honored to be a part of the 300th episode. That's crazy. It is a lot of episodes. Uh, it also gets a little inflated when people think like, oh man, that's how many years is that? Well, first off, a lot of years, but also uh, the first year that Eric was on the podcast, we did daily episodes in september and october for halloween so you know we we put out like an entire year's worth of podcasts in the span of two months so (laughs) our numbers might seem a little bit off but uh but yeah this is the 300th time that i have regardless that's really impressive it is it is certainly a thing uh and yeah you you were one of the (laughs) very first episodes that i covered um with my chat film fest and talking about feeding time 
And oh my God, yeah. Yeah, I've been in love with you ever wow. since. So, <laughs> oh. well, the feeling's mutual, and I really appreciate uh, you always inviting me back. And uh, I will never forget that first time. <laughs> never forget it. It's, was it good for you, too? <laughs> <laughs> it was really, that's what I'm saying. It was really good for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, keep going I, with the masturbation thread here. <laughs> I mean, this is Sexy Monsters podcast. Sexy um, Monsters. That's right. This is Sexy Monsters podcast. Yeah, I need to. I need to get Dan a, a microphone <laughs> so that he can get all sexy with his computer too. Oh, I don't need the computer to do it. I don't need a microphone, <laughs> sir. <laughs> this, that's just the voice I can't ever use at work. So, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, you could the use it. The superintendent frowns upon sexy voice with students. They just, <laughs> I don't know why. I can't imagine why. Some, yeah. Something about a past school board member getting arrested for sex with students. And they just really frown on anything that even leans into that direction now. <laughs> uh, the sad thing is I assumed that uh, a, a good, at least half of that is not a joke. Um, because, you know, some people are terrible and make horrible, yeah. horrible, horrible decisions with their life. Yeah. 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 Uh, we did not make a horrible decision because we decided to have Matt here. And Matt did not make a horrible decision <laughs> because he decided on duel. Fucking duel. Matt, yeah. yes. tell us why you picked duel. Well, it was not an easy choice because there's a lot of movies in this particular subgenre um, and a lot that I like. Um, uh, you know, I, I really. I really struggled with what to choose. Uh, you know, I, I was considering uh, the car, the James Brolin film, the car, which I don't know if you've seen that, but that's a really bananas uh, film from the, I believe the late seventies uh, about a killer car. It's basically jaws with a car. A lot of these are basically jaws with a car. The one we're going to talk about tonight is basically jaws with a truck. Um, but uh, I considered that uh, one of my all time favorites is Christine. And I love John Carpenter. Yep. Uh, I love uh, the Hitcher is another favorite of mine, which is not a killer vehicle, obviously, but it's. Uh, but but it takes place in a car, and like yeah. that and, was actually. And Rutger Hauer is a fucking machine. Just <laughs> that that's is, true, right there. The, the yeah, car, I like uh, how that how that movie escalates from a, a basic kind of stalker kind of premise, and he becomes. Uh, you know, there's something supernatural about him as it goes on. And, and he is a machine. He's just unstoppable. Well, and even though a car is not the monster in that movie, uh, a semi absolutely plays a major role in the, uh, the ending scene. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I guess we didn't exactly talk about the specifics of uh, this, this category and it, whether or not it was just killer vehicles or in general, transportation horror like road trip horror i'm not sure how broad it was but basically my the those movies is where I, where my mind first went um and i chose duel just because i think it's one of the first of its kind uh one of the first examples of this kind of film and again it's also not a killer vehicle there's someone driving the truck you clearly see the truck driver but um i chose it because i find it incredibly sharply made especially for a first time filmmaker. It was Spielberg's first feature. It was a TV movie that he was really under the gun to get done in. I believe he shot it in 10 days was principal photography. And then there was an additional uh, three or four when they expanded it into a 
theatrical film, which we can get to that later, but because, you know, a TV movie around then I think had to run about 74 minutes and he had to take it closer to 90 so that it could actually uh, screen in theaters. And I think it, it was initially screened when it, when the theatrical version was finished, it started screening overseas first. And I know that Spielberg took it to Avoriaz, which was the big genre festival at the time. And so I just find it incredible, especially impressive of a movie considering how fast it was, it was shot and yeah. made. And you just see like, you know, you can't eat the TV stuff that Spielberg shot because prior to this movie, he was directing a lot of television and you really can't fully see, you, you see little spurts and sparks of inspiration in those episodes that he directed um, like he did the first Columbo murder by the book. He did uh wait, what episode of, yeah, yeah. He directed that. He did mm-hmm. uh, I night did gallery. Not know that. that is a, I, first off, I love that show, but that's a great yeah. episode. Yeah. Yeah. That he directed that. And you can see, like, you can feel a little of him in that, but this movie was where it, he really got to show his stuff and you just feel the, the extreme creative energy just bursting out of him right out of the gate. And you feel his desperation to really make his mark in this movie. And I don't mean like a bad desperation. I mean, he just couldn't help it. Like, would you say that he was driven? (laughs) Yes, he was driven. Exactly. Would you say Um, that he really wanted to make his mark? I would say he put the pedal to the metal and gave it all the gas he could. Yeah. (laughs) Terrible. That is really, really a stretch there. What I just said, but it's not, it's not a stretch because Spielberg is, is a master filmmaker and you really like watching do revisiting it this past week. I watched it again this past week and I think I'd revisited it not long before that either, maybe two or three years ago and watching it again this week. It's just, so clear that Spielberg is like made of cinema. He's like living cinema. Like he just, he, he to shoot a movie that fast and get the angles and the cut that he got out of it is unbelievable. But and we, we'll get into all that, but that's why I chose it. I think it's a, a masterwork of suspense. Yep. So this was uh, the first time that I'd ever seen duel. Like I, I was hmm. aware of it, but you know, I, too many movies not enough time um and yeah like it was it was a little weird for me because like any movie that's been around for a while and has clearly had an impact on other movies i've seen some of the other movies that it has clearly impacted like for mm. instance i saw joyride when it came out and and i love joyride you know like that's i don't want to necessarily say it's a great movie but i mean come on it's it's fun you got steve Zahn and uh, uh what's his name uh stottlemyre for monk and um dude from silence of the lamps why am i drawing a blank on his name ted levine yes ted levine yeah <laughs> um but you know like i i really enjoy that movie and and watching this it's like oh yeah very obviously joyride was you know essentially a remake of duel <clears throat> so it was really hard right. to not picture the other movies that i'd seen that were very clearly influenced by it and so like having to kind of reverse engineer what I think of the movie in terms of, all right, I can't compare this to the ones that came after it because they came after it. This had an impact on those movies. And so like trying to get some of those out of my mind and get in the headspace of 
if I had seen this when it first came out, or at least if I had seen this yeah. earlier than some of these other movies, what kind of impact would that have had on me? And it's, I mean, it, it is just such a good movie and uh, it, it, it's weird. <laughs> we'll get a little bit into this. I assume once we start uh, getting into some of those details, but nothing happens in this movie. This movie is like, it, it is almost boring except for the fact that it is just just tension the entire time and, <laughs> and and it's one of those things where it's like why do i feel so on edge nothing's actually happening you know like uh dan posted in our chat something about uh like it, it's been a while since he had seen it and so he forgot most of the movie i was like oh don't worry there's like not much there to forget <laughs> it's just a car chase yeah. and that's it <clears throat> But that's well, it's, it's perfect spare writing. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm like, that's the thing is yeah. nothing happens, but so much happens. And the, the way that Spielberg handles themes in this movie and the way that he just puts you into that world, like e- even if not, even if not much happens with the actual plot, so much is happening with just being in this movie and being a part of that world that it's impossible to not get drawn into it and Mm -hmm. uh we'll get to some spoilers about the end but i want to talk about the ending at some point and how sad it is not because of what you see (laughs) but because of what you know comes next but uh but but we will get there um yeah first time watch for me and i absolutely loved it dan what about you uh, second time watch for me. The, I mean, I grew up in the, the early 80s. So, I mean, E.T., I think, was the first film I saw more than once in the theater. Uh, so everything Spielberg I loved. But uh, my little hometown did not have, you know, a copy of Duel. And Duel never, ever played on HBO for some reason growing up. Um, so it wasn't until I started working at the video store when I was like 19 that I got a chance to like finally check off Spielberg's first film check. You know, you don't want to be the person who admits that you've seen always three times, but have not seen duel. So <laughs> I mean, you uh, could so be that person. I, I was that I, I, because always in color purple were always on HBO. So I saw each of those probably five right. times. Before I've seen I village of the damned seven times, <laughs> but I've never seen dark star. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I've seen Emmerich's Godzilla yeah. five times no, I in the last year. Yeah. And this is my first time up, watching duel in, in the early eighties with HBO. You see the sequels well before you ever saw the originals. I saw Jaws. Absolutely. Three. A million times before I ever got a chance to see Jaws. Type I, of thing. I, I 100% know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was like a big moment when I was able to order it for the store, have it arrive on VHS yeah. and be like, yes, checking this off, you know, the damn yeah. box. Boom. <laughs> and it, I remember enjoying it. I mean, it's a damn good movie. But from that point on, if I was going to go back and rewatch Spielberg, it was not going to be dual just like this i mean the same thing with sugarland express checked it off the box kind of yeah pushed it to the back because holy fuck, you know there's indiana jones movies so there's jaws <laughs> movies there's jurassic parks you know there's yeah um a million other movies of spielberg that i rewatch way more so it just kind of got pushed to the back and then 
I mean, I think, yeah, it was last year, Black Friday sale. I got that like eight film Spielberg Blu-ray set from Universal that had mm. the Jurassic Parks and Duel and Sugarland and stuff on there. Okay. And I promptly bought it, got super excited about it, put it on the shelf and forgot it until <laughs> you know, two days ago. <laughs> you know, whenever we decided to, that we were going to watch Duel. So rewatch Duel for the second time this this morning, actually. Nice. Yeah, it's it, I up until my rewatch uh, a couple of years ago. Um, I think I hadn't seen it in a really long time too, and just I think in my head I kind of had it in my head that it was sort of an, a really great first run, a great first try, mm-hmm. and a good trial run of where you yeah. know leading up to Jaws and you know obviously Sugarland and then Jaws, and then watching it, I was like, no, out of the gate, he. Uh, knew exactly how to construct visually construct a suspenseful moment. And there are shots that you normally wouldn't see in something shot in 10 days or 11 days or whatever Mm -hmm. it was. And then, and, and, and a lot of those shots are in the part of the movie that were not in the additional photography to flesh it out to a a theatrical Mm -hmm. feature. That stuff is in the TV movie part of it. Like there are some crazy uh, crane shots with a zoom lens that go into compressed like these incredibly tight close-ups from mm-hmm. for wide that the focus pull on that kind of shot is so hard to do and they, <laughs> and i guarantee you they had to do it in no more than two takes probably one in fact that's one of the funniest things about the movie watching it again this week is i was sort of paying attention to the technical stuff and some of the easier shots where they probably thought they had it after a take or two and they had to move on that we're out of focus. They're like the whole shot is out of focus. <laughs> but then the really complex shots where they maybe got an extra take or two and it took them a little mm-hmm. longer. So those are nailed. They're yeah. sharp. So I found that really, really yeah. interesting. Um, but well, to have gotten it, all of that, you know, that quickly is pretty. Well, especially when you're using an 18 wheeler, because it's not like that's something you can just yeah. do a quick three point turnaround no. <laughs> up and, and start the shot all over again. Cause they had, uh, when they filmed Pet Cemetery here in Maine, yeah, uh, specifically like the stuff with the uh, Gage's death, they had a, like a ten-mile section of the road essentially blocked off for the day because there wasn't a turnaround within that time. So they had to run the shot. Oh, wow! Had to drive for like another seven miles before they could get a, a spot where they could actually turn the vehicle around. And I imagine with that vehicle there wasn't a lot of great spots to turn that around either because that it's a pretty you know ancient looking vehicle i wouldn't want to do more off-roading on that than i would absolutely necessarily have to do well and i wonder how much of it like i wonder how many times they had to reset and like all right we need to make sure to have this background and how many times they were just like "Eh, it we're we're just picking up from here because i mean you know like it almost takes place in the desert in terms of except for a couple of very specific scenes would you really notice between one shot and another if it was supposed to be in the same spot or if it was, you know, eight miles further down the road? So I'd, I'd like to picture that they just kind of had a, a huge chunk of road that it was just like, all right, we can drive around in circles on this and it's not going to matter. From what I've read, yeah, he had like a couple miles. He would set, he had like four camera setups along the way so that he could get shots as everything drove through without having to reset as often, which is how he was able to get this stuff in 10 days. Cause yeah. he was just, he had, I mean, from what I've heard, he had a really good, like um, production manager who knew what he was doing and 
the stuff was scheduled out scheduled out very very well because yeah yeah he had a production no manager yeah he had a he did have a good uh production manager and ad and they were kind of the workhorse guys from universal television and mm-hmm. they spielberg really wanted to he didn't want to around he wanted to knock this out of the park but get a a really good movie out of it to show Mm -hmm. his stuff so um i think the production manager threatened him basically and said if you you know spielberg didn't want to shoot any plates or do any process Mm -hmm. shots in the car no no fake no rear projection or anything like no yeah (laughs) yeah and and there's not you know the car's not really on the road he wanted everything to be real so Mm -hmm. The production manager in the, because yeah, I rewatched the uh, special features on the disc, and the, apparently the production manager said, "Look, if you spend the first half of your first day shooting plates, meaning shooting the road going by, like the canyon walls and the road going by on the outside of the car, and shoot that stuff, if 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 in other words, shoot that stuff in case we have to do process shots back at the studio. But if you shoot that stuff and have it just in case." And then you start making your days after that with all the real footage of just, you know, camera attachments to the car and actually shooting the cars on the road and you stay on schedule. I'll let you do it your way. And he, and he did it. He stayed on schedule exactly the way you just said, Dan, like he, he would have five cameras. They basically shot on one giant stretch of road, just like mm-hmm. you said, Nathan and Spielberg had instead of storyboards, he plotted the whole movie on that giant stretch of road, which was, I don't know, 20 miles or something. And, and he, it was an overhead of the road that he had hand drawn and wrote where each scene would happen, where Chuck's cafe was, where the crazy snake lady's gas station was, all that. And, and he plotted all those scenes. So he knew where he could set up five cameras to do five passbys. And then they would turn the truck around and come back and get, and get the vehicles going by again going the other direction and he would have both directions and he would just suddenly have 10 shots. So it was like that kind of plan. Yeah. God, I love um, Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, what's, shock, what's shocking to me is that he managed to get five cameras on set. Like, I, I can't believe universal television or, you know, anyone at universal, let him have take five cameras out there. That's, I mean, I, that's a lot. <laughs> that's pretty cool yeah. maybe they just had shitloads of cameras back then i don't know <laughs> maybe there was a warehouse sale yeah that's what it was <laughs> but yeah it was that kind of of planning which then I'll, i guess gave him the time too to get those crazy shots i was talking about before where you know like a camera attachment on the side of the truck or uh they used a, a stunt car from from the movie bullet yeah and they, they, yeah they were doing those these passing shots that where uh, they could have a very smooth, uh, uh, steady, almost steady cam like shot passing, passing the vehicles yeah. and then getting right up close to. Yeah. The, the, the first time that camera's utilized, it's just magnificent. It's amazing. Yeah. It's truly you get, amazing. You pass both cars and then you just get that shot from underneath of the truck and it. It looks so terrifying. And that yeah. sets the, like immediately, like this is a, heavy piece of machinery that's going to do some damage and you, <laughs> you feel so small looking at it at that point yeah yeah spielberg definitely shot the uh that tractor trailer in such a way that like it, it feels so imposing like a, a few dutch angles but also just a few here's a giant truck in your face 
and he did a lot of shots that I feel like I have seen thousands of times yeah. since then because yeah. I have because it was done so well that now anytime that there's a car chase especially if the thing that's chasing you is a bigger car you're going to have one of the shots from duel in there you you yeah. just are yeah and I think that's the the probably the other reason I chose it is because it, it predated all those and it, it set it laid the roadmap for all of those movies and basically uh did the first it was it did a lot of firsts between those shots you're talking about um as well as the score like the score is um very unlike what most tv movie scores were like then it's, it's a very tonal score with very little melody and very little standard instrumentation so i'm glad that you start- back in that day it felt so like everything was so overture it was very bumpy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it told you exactly when you needed to feel certain ways because it was. Yeah, it yeah. was essentially a laugh track for movies, but with music. Yeah, we we needed some more right. French horn in Duel. Is really what needed to happen. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> oh uh, so uh, I'm glad that you started with the cinematography and the music because one of my favorite scenes in in the entire movie especially hearing all those details that you were just going through with like how they had to get some of those shots and how difficult some of those were. It's about 20 minutes into the movie and it's either the first or second time that the truck is chasing down uh, the main character and I don't have IMDb pulled up and I can't remember their names. So I'm going to refer to them as truck and car. So (laughs) it's either the first or second time that truck is chasing car and, uh, and, and you have the, the music on the radio but no soundtrack at that time. Like you only have the sound in the car, but then Mm -hmm. you have all of the other just environmental noises. And you know, like when it's following the truck, you get the uh, much louder, just kind of stuff going on. Um, And, and it starts rapidly cutting back and forth between them. But because you only hear the sound in the car, when the camera's in the car, like it keeps chopping. So like you hear a little bit of music when they're in the car and then no music when it's on the truck and then back to the car and you hear the music and then out of the car and you don't. And so just the way that it chops up that music makes it feel so tense because, you know, it's it, it would be like if you're driving in the car with someone and they just keep changing the channels and just how annoying that would be. And just like, oh, my God, just pick something, <laughs> but intentional. Uh, but but like it just it added so much tension to that scene the way that it kept jumping back and forth and how the music kept picking up and uh and and how again how quickly uh it it was cutting back and forth between those and the shots that it was giving it there was just so much tension in that scene and that was the point in the movie that you know up until then i was like all right i I like it there's some good stuff going on you know I, i loved the very opening scene where it's just the uh you know like the the news on the radio setting the um just kind of putting everything into motion and kind of giving you some mm. of those pieces about the world and we're definitely going to come back to one of the things talked about on the radio when we get into uh, some of the themes with this movie but it was during that scene where it was cutting back and forth where it was just like this movie is so masterfully shot and i don't think that anyone else could have handled it that way especially a first time uh, first time movie for it to be done so well and to put you into that anxiety. And and it's just mm. such a perfect example of, you know, like show don't tell in terms of like it is giving you the emotion of that scene, even though nothing bad has happened yet. 
you know like he hadn't run anyone off the road you didn't have him whatever like you didn't have the truck uh running over the gas station attendant like there's nothing there to really give you a sense of danger Mm. except for that scene put you in that danger and i just i love that scene so much it is so beautiful yeah i think what we're all getting at with like out of the gate here with everything we're talking about is it's it's a pure cinema kind of movie it's using uh the the camera work the the sound effects which are great the music on the radio the score it's using every single element to perfectly hone the the most heightened suspense it possibly can and also create a tone that makes you uneasy from the start and weirdly what it reminded me of this time watching it and i'd never thought about this until this viewing this past week was um this movie came out in 1971 uh two years before the texas chainsaw massacre and even though they're very (laughs) different movies Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways they're really similar in a lot of ways too and i think there are watching watching it this week i was kind of stunned at some of the similarities and i was like i wonder if toby hooper had watched this not long before he made chainsaw which chainsaw is a much more unhinged film between the long lens compression shot like the long lens shot of the truck bearing down on the car is so much like leatherface bearing down on sally hardesty in the woods um the scores are really similar they're atonal and percussive um a lot of the wide shots of the of the orange valiant the car uh dennis weaver's car moving down the road are reminded me of shots of the van in texas chainsaw like it's very the way it jumps from wide to close in the cutting it's i i really felt a lot of similarities and a lot of the same dread and oh yeah and it it completely hits like hits at home too with the final shot of the film like the the color palette of that oh absolutely I yeah. was just like, because yeah, I, I I hadn't put that together until the final shot of him just like kneeling yeah. in the in desert sand, and I'm just like that that palette, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perfectly matched against you know the leather face swinging oh, around shit. the chains yeah, and everything, and it was yeah, but yeah, it get it gives you that same sense of unease throughout the entire film where mm-hmm. I mean you almost feel like you're in danger because you. Once you've seen movies, you know what's going to happen 95% of the time. In this film, yeah. you're just like, I don't know how this story's going to end. Yeah. I don't know what's going... You know, if this guy drives him off a cliff at the end of the film, I mean, the the, the, the good guy, Mr. Man, David Man there, you know, yeah. if he, he dies at the end of this, I would not be the least bit surprised yep. type of thing. No. Yeah, you know? I, I, all bets are off pretty, pretty yeah. quickly. There's one element, which I think we will get to down the line. I don't want to get into a category we're not talking about but there's one thing that i think makes it the whole movie feel a bit uh safer and for sure much safer than something like texas chainsaw uh there's something they do it's really the one drawback to the movie in my opinion but we'll get to that so uh, you probably know what i mean what it's going to be but i i have a feeling uh and i don't want to know whether or not we're we're on the same page so one of the things um i'm actually really glad that you mentioned toby hooper and uh and compared it to texas chainsaw massacre because I've, I, I'm fairly certain I've mentioned this on the podcast before, and I'll try not to go too far down this road just in terms of talking about Spielberg and not necessarily Jewel itself, but I feel like Spielberg is a master of horror, not just a master uh, filmmaker, not just a master director, 
but I mean, he's done so many horror movies, but he's done like mainstream horror, you know, like even though Jaws is absolutely a horror movie, there's a lot of people that would probably say, oh, I hate horror. I never watch horror at all, but also, you know, have watched and enjoy Jaws. Jurassic Park, absolutely a horror movie. Uh, you know, just like so much of what Spielberg has been involved in has been horror. And the the reason that I feel like he's a master of horror is because he gives you the sense that he is approaching it in a safe manner in terms of like you don't see, feel that same sense of unease that you get like with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, like when mm. uh, the, the dudes in the van just like flipping out and like cutting his leg and stuff. You're like, this just feels just f***ed up and, and like things don't <laughs> feel safe. And, and like you feel that it's a horror movie, but then in duel, you just have a guy driving down the road, listening well, to the he, radio. And he then, knows how to create horror out of moments that aren't in horror movies. I mean, just off the top of my head, that's, I can think of when E.T. starting to die in E.T. Yeah, that's a horrifying moment. Um, yeah. Mellish's death and saving Private Ryan with the Nazi walking up the stairs past private up and just, <laughs> you know, that's a slasher moment right there, you know? And then, um, he, he creates I, his horror yeah. out of emotion, not yeah. out of fear. And there's suspense, but like a different kind of suspense. And mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I love that about him. And I love the way that, uh, that he just handles again, how he handles horror because duel mm-hmm. absolutely a horror movie. I don't know how many people would say that it's a horror movie again, because of what I said at the beginning where it's like nothing happens. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm not saying like nothing happens and this movie is terrible. It's no, this is a masterpiece despite the fact that when you really think about what happens in this movie, uh, a guy cuts off another guy in a truck and then the truck chases him. And then spoilers, the truck dries off the edge of the cliff. The end like, that, yeah. that is the entire movie, but it so does not get at it. And and yeah, like going into this movie with um, with some of that background on Spielberg and knowing how he's approached other movies absolutely shaped the way that I was watching Duel this time. Um, all right, God, there's so many things that I want to talk about. Um, <laughs> Matt, do you happen to know just with knowing a little bit more about you know like some of the backstories and stuff? Do you know if the diner scene um, was a, a a note from the producer of you have to have an internal monologue? Because mm-hmm. watching that scene, while I do love that internal monologue, it also doesn't feel Spielbergy in terms of it feels very much like I have to tell, not show. Especially since watching uh, watching that guy, and you said his name, but I've already forgotten it. Like he is acting what he's saying like I, I i could have muted that scene and probably gotten every bit of information that i needed yeah. nothing needed to be said in there and yet they added all this dialogue and, and again i don't think that it hurts the movie but it also doesn't feel it it feels not out of place it just i i, I don't know yeah it's just not i agree it's just not the movie Right. Um, it's it's like the rest of the movie is so streamlined, and every element, like we were talking about, works is honed and works perfectly to create suspense. And then all of the voiceover stuff when it happens in the movie, which happens in the cafe, 
and then it sporadically happens on the road too. Um, it feels really out of left field because we haven't had that the entire movie. <laughs> I, I don't remember it. I don't remember this it is on, happening in the cafe when he's driving. I don't remember it. I remember him saying things out loud. It, it happens a little bit after the cafe when he's driving. Yeah. Just occasionally, there's some you hear his thoughts a little bit. Oh, okay. My initial instinct was exactly what you said. I thought the first time I saw this movie, I thought that's someone watched it and said, "We need this. We need." voiceover we need to hear his thoughts and also it might maybe it'll even help us i had this whole scenario in my head of producers going maybe it'll even help us uh increase runtime because we can have him look around more and look and have more shots of the people and then i um watching one of the behind the scenes things there was a um a shot of a few pages from the script that richard matheson by the way, Richard Matheson, one of the, one of the great uh, <laughs> fantasy horror sci-fi writers of the 20th century. Wrote yeah, not, not a bad get for your first directing. Gig. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was a pretty, pretty good get. And, um, He's okay, I guess. I mean, what the what? And, um, but I, I, there, there were a few pages and I noticed on the pages they showed the voiceover was in there. And then I feel like I also heard either Matheson or Spielberg in an interview say that, um, that was written from the start. So I, that's the earlier when I was saying there's an element that I don't particularly care for. That's the thing that said, when I was watching it this week, I was like, well, you couldn't, it would be weird to go on as long as you do in this edit See, and not have voiceover. I like, completely disagree, but I also love awkward movies. Like I, I would have loved it if well, the scene went think, as long as it did. I think you could still, you could still have it. You could still yeah. have the scene, but it, I, it would, I think it would feel weird to go on as long as it does repeating shots of not repeating the exact shot, but going back to Dennis Weaver, then back to the people he's looking at. And they are very creative shots and exciting to look at the way he covers the whole cafe is cool. But I think that would have to be cut down a bit yeah you'll well, I mean, it, to not feel weird but with the voiceover it runs at the right time you know yeah you, ha you have to remember too, this is made for a television audience so you've yeah. got what seven eight minutes before our next commercial break so yeah that was an without, how long are you gonna go without anybody saying anything on 1971 television but how long yeah. in the entire movie was there no dialogue because they're just in the car and like that's one of the reasons that i feel like that scene would have worked so perfectly without any of that uh voiceover and just had what few conversations he had like with the waitress My and then the one guy that he thought was um was the truck driver like yeah because you get that out of him. You get the looks in his eyes. You get the way that he's hiding his face and like looking out the window and like kind of you don't. Well, I, I'm also saying this with having watched it with the voiceover. So, of course, I knew what he was thinking because he was telling me what he was thinking. But I, I feel like that scene could have gone without any of the voiceover and really added to that paranoia and like yeah. really gotten to the. I, all right. Is the truck driver really chasing him down or is this guy just kind of imagining it because of the the other stressors that he's currently encountering and no I, I agree like, i agree with you i i my preference would would be to not have the voiceover yeah mm -hmm. but i i i uh 
but I understand. I, I think what I'm saying is I understand why it's there. Sure. And it is very of the time. Um, it was a, it was a device used in a lot of twilight zone episodes and in night gallery, like that and episodes Matheson wrote. So, you know, he's doing something he probably did on some of his episodes of twilight zone, but I think as long as it goes on, and if it was written that way, I can see why the voiceover is in there. It'd be interesting to, I mean, it'd be interesting to pop it in and remove the voiceover and see how it plays without it with the current runtime. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my preference, th- that's the one drawback to the movie is the voiceover. I wonder, I, I, I wonder how much that though was Matheson approaching it from a literary perspective versus a cinematic perspective. Because, you know, like if you're reading a book, if you were reading Duel, the book, and yeah. like describing the car chase, then, yeah, of course, there's no dialogue because you're describing the action. When you have that break in the action in a book, like you, you have to tell, not show because you're reading, you're not watching. So like approaching it that way in terms of if I was reading the book, it would absolutely make sense to have all of that explaining what's going on. Sure. And so I wonder just how much of that uh, potentially could have been having an impact, but I mean, it, it doesn't matter. And and like I said, it's not bad and I didn't dislike it, but you know, it, exactly like you said, uh, I, I think that it would be so much better without it. My preference would for it to not be there. Yeah. It stands out. Yeah. So it, it really stands out as a very strange thing in a, in the middle of, in the midst of a movie that is otherwise so tight and streamlined and, and um, exacting about what it's doing. The whole movie is so tight and exacting about what it's doing. And then yeah. this voiceover comes in and you're like, well, that, we haven't heard this before. Why are we in his head now? <laughs> <laughs> this is so weird. So yeah, I would, I, I also wish it was not uh, in there, but I, I feel if it were just extracted, like let's say Spielberg went back and entirely did a new sound pass and a new uh, transfer and whatever, and and just took that voiceover out. I, it'd be interesting to see, but I think that s- stuff would play almost <laughs> play like a like a, an art film. That section, <laughs> like how long is? I mean, not and maybe not in a maybe not in a bad way. It would just I think it would probably you'd want to make a few cuts, I, just of him looking around and the reverse shots on the other characters and stuff. Right. Would, we'll, we'll tell him that he can put the walkie talkies back into ET. If he does this. <laughs> yeah. <part>. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, uh, I, I feel like the only way to really get at that though would be um, in terms of which one plays better and whether or not it makes sense is to get someone who has never seen it to watch it without the dialogue to and, mm. and then be like all right do you understand what's going on and what he's thinking because you know like now that i've seen it it's going to be impossible for me to watch it and not feel like i'm getting it because i already heard what he was saying but but again like i, I feel like it's all there you know with all the shots at the boots yeah. and then all those shots of like the people kind of giving him a glance and i don't yeah anywho um, much like that scene, uh, we've been talking about that for probably a little bit longer than <laughs> what it deserved. Um, so we've mentioned the radio a couple of times in that opening scene where, uh, where it's just backing out of the driveway and then driving through the city with, you know, just like the news and these different stories going on. Yeah. Um, you get more world building from the opening credits 
than a lot of the movies that I've seen in the last several years of just like, you've not even seen the main character yet and you already feel like, all right, I'm on board with what's happening. And, um, and yeah, uh, I, I want to talk about one of the stories specifically in the radio, but are mm. there any other technical pieces that that either of you want to focus on before we start diving into what, what I feel like is one of the biggest themes that I imagine we're probably going to chat a while on? The only other thing I can think of is to talk about the differences between the TV movie and the theatrical version, which... Uh, for starters, the whole thing kind of comes together so well, it's really difficult to tell what's what, you know, it, it blends really nicely. But basically I think the added scenes were Dennis Weaver at the laundromat calling his wife mm-hmm. was added. Yeah. That was not in the TV version. The railroad crossing scene where the truck is pushing his car toward the train uh, was added. Uh, what else? What am I leaving? Out? I the, think the very, the very opening scene, the opening with, with the car driving out of the city was, was added. added. Okay. Which I agree, Nathan. Uh, and I thought, yeah, I, that was my instinct. Yeah. That was added. I, I agree. That's uh, a really great vibe and world building sequence um, with that. <laughs> and for some reason, the universal movies at that time loved that fucking font. That font is <laughs> awful. And they love that font. I think it's it, it it's the same, if not very similar, to a font used in uh, the first movie Eastwood directed, "Play Misty for Me." It's this goofy mm-hmm. seventies font. But um, anyway, Maybe they just uh, didn't have that many options that, back then, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's neat. Let's use that font. That's my Spielberg. <laughs> oh yeah, that. Um, but I, aside from the font, yeah, I love that the opening and the way it's dissolving as he goes further and further out of the city, by the way, pretty much all of those roads leading out of the city still look exactly the same. Um, <laughs> those tunnels that he's driving through in the beginning are on the 110, uh, which I noticed in the movie was just called the 11, I guess <laughs> back then I noticed someone at the signs, but that's the 110, and those tunnels are still there and they lead out to Pasadena. Maybe um, they changed it so that people didn't know exactly where it was and tried to like go there and take pictures and block traffic. And <laughs> yeah, um, it's a possibility. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they would have taken the time to change those signs for a TV, <laughs> unless they slapped something over the 110. but maybe back then I just assumed it was called something different back then. But um, yeah, those roads and the five and then kind of that whole drive out to Palmdale where they shot some of this, um, I've actually shot stuff out there a couple of times and there are stretches along those railroad tracks that I know exactly where they are. (laughs) (laughs) I've gone out there to shoot random shit, but um, (laughs) yeah, that's uh, I love that opening. And I love how my, one of my favorite things is how it, it just, it's like flipping a switch. It immediately sets the mood and tells you what kind of movie it's going to be by starting over black or under black. You hear the, you hear uh, the engine start in the garage door and then suddenly it's dissolving in from black and it's the car pulling out of the garage and just going like, I love that as an opening shot. And I really want to rip that off one day. Um, well, I also love uh, yeah. um, just a minute ago when you said that like so many of those roads are, they all look exactly the same. And so like they keep showing different shots, but it feels like the mm-hmm. same one that's going to tie in to, uh, to one of the things that I want to talk about in just a minute with the theme. Um, 
I have mm. a question though. With that opening scene being added for the theatrical and not for the TV version, yeah. How? Where exactly did it pick up? Like, did you get the um the the story of the one guy? I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. Uh, the the guy that calls in talking to the census taker and saying like oh you know am i the head of household because you know like i've been married for 20 years and my wife's the one who's really the head of the household but like it, it just feels embarrassing mm. and what are my neighbors gonna think was that in the uh the tv version or the theatrical i'm not positive but i'm pretty sure that was still in the tv version that that radio okay because without Cause it, it goes on during his drive in the desert like it's still going so i have to assume the cut must be somewhere right around the time you first see the car there's a a low angle shot on like a fence and the title Mm -hmm. actually i guess the title happens before that now and you see i'm pretty sure the tv movie must have started with like one of the wider wider shots outside of the car going by but that call in radio show is still happening in that part so okay. that would have still been in there. Okay, because if that had yeah. not been in the theatrical, it would have been an entirely different movie. Um, it would have been, yeah, it would have affected it greatly. Yeah. yeah. And because, we'll go ahead and dive into this theme, uh, and then we're probably going to jump back and forth a little bit if there's like, oh, wait, I forgot to mention this other really fun technical yeah, yeah. thing. <laughs> the The theme in this movie that again i i love spielberg i love the way that he handles his movies i love the way that he gives you such a powerful theme in very very subtle ways this entire movie feels like just uh it just male fragility and um dennis weaver being you know in a dead-end job and in a crappy marriage not necessarily a crappy marriage but in a marriage where he um you know, doesn't really stand up for his wife, which is why when you said that the laundromat scene was not in the TV release, I was like, oh, whoa, that's, I feel like that's an important scene that mm-hmm. I feel like needed to be there. Because like when, uh, when he's listening to that call-in show and the one guy's talking about how, um, you know, again, like his wife is the one that is the head of the household, but like he's so embarrassed by it. And the entire yeah. time listening to that, I was like, oh, I hate you, dude. Like there's just <laughs> something about the way that he's complaining about things where it's just like, Oh my God, like, dude, it's okay for, for women to be the heads of the household. And it's just, it felt so <sighs> Republican, I guess is the best way to describe it. I know that's yeah. terrible, but, but still. And so then, uh, when Dennis Weaver calls his wife and, and you find out the thing that like they're a little upset about was the fact that some dude at a party drunkenly almost raped her and he didn't want to say anything because he didn't want to upset anybody like there, there's so much going on there with like I, I thought initially he was listening to that Colin show and being like what a putz but then hearing the conversation with his wife it's like oh no he was listening because he is relating to that guy and he has that same level of i don't feel like i'm the master of my own house and i'm not going to be home for uh for the family because i have to go do this thing for work and if i you know he didn't really seem happy with this job and so you know like it felt like so much this movie revolved around him not feeling like a man and so then when it finally comes to 
uh, to not only passing the the tractor trailer, but you know, there's plenty of times that he probably could have just like turned around and gone home. It feels like there was something that the uh, that flipped in him where he was like, "No, I have to do this. I have to stand up. I have to be a man," in like the dumbest way possible, <laughs> rather than being like a responsible person and. And like all of the reasons that he, uh, I, I feel like he was stressed, makes sense. You know, they are all very relatable reasons. But Dan's comment earlier about if he had died at the end, wouldn't have been surprised. Honestly, I don't know if I would have been upset either. Like you follow the character, but I don't know how much I rooted for him. I, I understood him, well, but I don't know if I rooted yeah. for him. Well, I mean, you kind of start to after a while as. I mean, his civility slowly, slowly gets stripped away. I mean, the car goes from shiny and new to damaged and dinged up, much like the Peterbilt truck. It's it, it doesn't it doesn't look all shiny and fancy. His dress goes from you know tie tight buttoned up to slovenly as the film progresses. I mean, it mirrors pretty much his exit out of the city into the wilderness. At, you know, in that opening shot. Right. You're going from modern to, you know, the desert, which I mean, is practically caveman at times, depending which part of the desert you're actually in. Um, so it, it's very much that that kind of, you know, Lord of the Flies almost <laughs> character arc that he's going through. It's just stripping him away to his core. I am man. I beat chest. I try to fight. <laughs> trucker at a diner and and it doesn't go well. But man, I slap really, a sandwich out of his hand for that really well. <laughs> well, and, oh man, I I'm so glad that you mentioned that in terms of like he really worked himself up to confront the trucker to say I'll call the cops, I'll do it. Like even in his confront confrontation, it was I'm gonna call someone else to handle this. And and again, I'm not saying yeah. that he is like the worst. There were things about him that, again, especially watching it in modern times with uh, a lot of the social justice issues that, you know, are very, very relevant. It it turns a film that's 50 years old at this point, like you watch it with a different light. Uh, and, and so that might have been obviously shaping the way that I saw mm-hmm. things a little bit. Um, but but yeah, like when I was watching it, one of the first movies that came to mind, aside from Joyride, because of the obvious reasons, obvious reasons, one of the first movies that came to mind in terms of I feel like uh, I feel like this movie was influ- influenced by Duel to the point where if I was to do a beginning, middle, and end, this would be the end. Um, it reminded me of Falling Down, just in terms of like here's a guy and he's stressed and he's dealing with life and not necessarily loving the way that he's dealing with it. And one little thing happens and like, there's just a, a, a a switch that's flipped. Obviously he handles it in a much more extreme way in falling down, but it feels thematically very, very, very similar. I think in terms of like having an arc where he's transformed into a new sort of person. Yes. But I think what it's exploring is a little bit different for me. Like I, this is getting back to what you said. I agree with you, Nathan, that it's something about masculinity. (laughs) And then this movie is definitely exploring the main character's masculine. I mean, his name is David Mann. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) This is his name. And yeah, between the, 
radio broadcast at the beginning of the guy guy whining about I just don't know what people will think and blah, blah, blah. and he's you know <laughs> and, worried and about hitting on the census worker just you sound very pretty yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then um, yeah his wife uh, you know saying his wife being disappointed in his ability to stand up for her when this guy when she says this guy was practically raping her and it's, it's, it's uh, hard to tell how figurative she's being, but it sounds like the guy was making pretty strong advances on her at this party. And, and Dennis Weaver's character didn't do very much about it. So I think what Spielberg is at the very least doing is setting up that this guy's going to go from, I don't know what the word is, nevishy or sort of, you know, a low status character. And he's going to be forced into, having to fight for his life and uh, uh, up his masculinity, so to speak, <laughs> which, yeah, that's a, it's a weird theme. Sure. It's weird to bounce that off of today. I think the difference between, or to get back to falling down, falling down is there's some, definitely some masculinity, masculinity in there, but it's also about like just rage and anger at, at a system. Like there's right. a red tape, system he's battling against that and uh this is a little more primal and i mean sure that movie gets primal and elemental but this is like straight on he's fighting this one force um uh and so yeah i don't know i i it it it, it, yeah lord of the flies is another interesting uh (laughs) one to think about it's yeah it's very uh uh it, it's certainly ruminating on masculinity, but also I would say in addition to that, what it means to be civil, I think, you know, civilization and, and how, when do you flip that switch? You know, now here's something that um, I was only yeah, halfway thinking about when I was watching it. Um, but as we've been discussing it, I, I've been thinking about it more and more and more how drastically different would the movie be if the truck driver was the main character because of uh again especially like tying it in with some of that falling down stuff with uh you know like fighting against the systems you have a truck driver who is just hauling around gasoline and you never see his face and the closest that you get to him is you see his boots which then at the diner you see everyone else wearing the same boots and having that same sort of persona. What if you watch this movie with uh, David Weaver, David Weaver, is that his name? With uh, Mr. Dennis. Man. Yeah. Dennis Weaver. What if you watch this movie with Mr. Man as like the middle management corporate villain who just views all working class people as just nameless, faceless dangers to their way of life. Now, obviously, I'm putting way more onto this movie than what I feel like is there. But I mean, come on, that's what I do. Uh, Like, like really think about that. The fact that you never see the truck driver. Yeah. And and then all of the other people in the diner, they are all interchangeable. I I don't know. I feel like that could be just a fascinating movie if you just switch which one of those characters is supposed to be the main character. Yeah. If if it were the same I think that's a different movie, in my opinion. Oh, I, think I think it's a different movie, we're too. Still, but... We're still this movie. You would just be 
and you were seeing the truck driver and watching him, you'd be watching this maniacal guy do crazy shit to this poor driver and just wondering what the fuck is going on. I think, um, yeah, I think it would be a different, I think the intent that I, that I get from it. And I think Spielberg's intent was the truck driver is the same as Bruce, the shark or Michael Myers. Like sure. he's a force. Uh, he's a, a force to be reckoned with. He's a, it's a behemoth him and this truck. They're a behemoth and they are going to just, destroy this guy they're going to test him first they're going to fuck around with him and then it's all out war there's not really a duel until the end of this movie which is something matheson says in his interview like it's really just an assault it's a it's a harassment and then a mur- and then attempted murder yeah it's not a well, duel until the last nearly the last shot well because every time a man even tries to get near the truck when he's out of his vehicle yeah, the truck driver doesn't let it happen. Yeah, that's like, right. He's the first time he chases after him, and the truck <laughs> just drives away. And the second time after the uh, the little scene with the old couple, where he's finally getting up the courage <laughs> to actually confront, you know, he's confronting the bully. The bully keeps running away because it's not advantageous at that moment. Yeah, that's no fun. So, I don't want to talk. No, I just want to kill. So oh, yeah, this yeah. is yeah. It's not a duel. It's Ninety minutes will bully just. Why yeah. are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself for ninety minutes until he's yeah. turned on him? I mean, he he he's clearly out to get him. The moment you know he is, this truck driver is fucked up, and there's something <laughs> wrong with him. Is when he signals for him to pass, and it's like, okay, f- about time. What is what is Dennis Weaver say? About time, Charlie, and he yeah. starts <laughs> trying to pass him, and and there's a car coming around the corner. Yep. The truck driver <laughs> tries to cause a malicious murderous accident between this SUV and his car. And then you're like, Oh, this guy didn't give a shit. That's the moment, you know, this guy does not care. And he's oh. just out to either. Mess <laughs> that, with that this guy. Land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's when it really. Yeah. yeah Cause at first I was like, nobody's going to believe this guy's story because it's just a truck driver until he, you know, does mm-hmm. those like four laps that he does in reptile land and every time I, and I love that because that was such a great way of storytelling to say, no, you try to get help. I will fuck them up too. Yeah. 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 I'll kill With, without having to make that threat explicit. It's like, Oh no, you're, you're talking to somebody. Well, I'm going to run everything over in my path. And yeah. if I don't get it the first time, I'll keep coming around <laughs> yeah, until you decide what- to. Yeah. Yeah, that's what makes the scene with the kids on the school bus so intense, too, is oh. because it's like, you know, oh he's not God. trying to get help. So the truck driver is staying back a little bit. But oh, by the way, that's the other scene that's added. The that's school, the school beautiful bus scene shot, is, though. Oh. oh, yeah. Beautifully shot. And that's that's the uh, the other. That's the fourth mm-hmm. thing that was added to make it a theatrical film was that scene, the school bus. I didn't say that before, right? No, no, you didn't no. say that. one. Yeah, that was added. Um that reminded me of uh, of Dirty Harry, like the kids on the school. It was the same kind of tension. It's like there's get these kids on the school bus, and what is this truck driver going to do? And yeah. the great thing is how he turns it on, on its head a little bit. At the end, the truck driver helps the bus, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, he it, he is just messing with this guy until yeah, when he gets to Snake Land, and you've got crazy old Lucille Benson. Uh, <laughs> you want to pet my snakes? Go <laughs> yeah. in that place, and she's like. Uh, you know, the, the, that's when the truck driver just goes full bore. I'm going to kill this guy. That's when, you yeah. know, 
all bets are off. He's no longer just going to mess with him. But um, I love that you mentioned too that he helps out the school bus because if he doesn't do that, the game is over. That's right. Yeah. Usually have radios. They'll radio for help. The guy's car is stuck there. Yeah. Under the too many witnesses and too many. Yeah. 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 If he just lets that go, game's over. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'll help because it's going to start my game again. Well, and that's the thing again, talking about like just the way that Spielberg handles tension in that Mm -hmm. scene. I was convinced, especially, you know, when the truck comes back and you see it at the end of the, uh, the tunnel, I was convinced that he was going to ram the school bus, killing everyone and somehow not killing man. You know, like I I was, I was because I didn't think the movie was over at that point, but I was convinced he was going to hit the school bus. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. It is one of those scenes where you really have no idea what is going to happen. You you, you don't know how far this truck driver is going to go, but when you think back on the movie, Matheson and Spielberg really have built a logic where it's so fascinating how with very little, they have given you enough of a window into this truck driver's psyche that, you yeah. know, the most important thing to him is to keep the game going because, yeah. and also not ruin the streak he has going because you, <laughs> you know, he's been doing this all over the country. He's got license plates all over his truck, like notches in his Colt, which is what Spielberg <laughs> said in his interview. And it's like this guy, if he kills too many, to me anyway, the impression I got was that he, this truck driver knows if he kills too many people or has too many witnesses, mm-hmm. he will not be able to keep doing this. And he loves the game. Yeah. He loves it. He what loves does, hunting people down. It is a total cat and mouse movie. Like the, and it's the, all it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, like that's why it works so great. And is because, yeah. you know, as soon as the cat kills the mouse, it's over. And yeah. if the cat is too harsh with the mouse too soon, then even if the mouse isn't dead, if it's just, you know, like lying there bleeding, the cat doesn't have fun with it. Maybe it paused it a little bit, but yeah. then when it stops moving, it's just like, all right, I'm going to go find something else. Yeah. Or the mouse goes and gets other mouse help. Right. And then the cat eats the all the mice. The cat has no, what's that? I said, and then the cat eats all the mice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but, but yeah, yeah like, it's uh, it's that mind. So much of it is a is a mind game, and um, this, you just reminded me of something else too. Is we're talking about the masculinity theme, which is def you know very clear in the movie between the radio and the phone call with the wife. And I think uh, Matheson, when in his the interview that's on the disc that I watched, he talks about his whole goal was there, like you were saying, Nathan, in the beginning, like just strip away. This is just cat and mouse. This is just a suspense piece. And it's just going to get ratcheted up very slowly as the movie goes on. And that's really all it is. In fact, it came from Matheson. uh, The day Kennedy was assassinated, JFK was assassinated. uh, Matheson had gone to play golf with a friend of his and they heard about the assassination, just were devastated, decided they couldn't play golf. And then on the drive home, a truck driver started started messing with him just like in the movie and they couldn't reason with the guy. He kept blaring his horn and cutting him off and all this stuff. The guy was just a lunatic. And that's when Matheson got the idea and wrote the short story and then ultimately turned it into the screenplay for the, for the TV movie, like 10 years later, it was like 10 years later or no 68 to those three years later, I guess. So, um, 
that was the initial concept. And I think, I wonder how much of that stuff was added in like the masculinity theme and um, the, with the additional scenes, which a lot of that theme is in, I wonder how much of that was Spielberg and how much of that was Matheson. And I would assume Matheson wrote them, but they probably collaborated on what those would be. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to speculate, I guess, but um, at its essence, that's what the whole movie is supposed to be. It's just supposed to be, you know, a psychological game. How much is too much? How long can I make this game go on? I'm speaking as the trip driver. (laughs) How long (laughs) can I make this game go on? And when do I really put the pedal to the metal and try to try to wipe this guy out, take him out. And uh, yeah, I'm just rambling. That's, that's the movie. (laughs) Yeah. To me, (laughs) and it's at its core. It's really, you know, themes aside, it's really just a suspense piece. Oh yeah, absolutely. Bunch of set pieces. Yeah. And and again, that ties into what I said at the beginning. It's kind of theoretically boring. It is not actually boring. I need to make sure that I emphasize that it it is not a boring movie, but like, yeah, what happens to the movie? on, On paper. I mean, I think the producers even said, I don't know if we have a movie here. Like on paper, what is this going to be? Does this even work? Yeah. It's, it's just 75 minutes of a truck chasing a car and a few minutes of uh, a guy talking on the phone. Like it's nothing happens. But again, because of that cat and mouse, because of it, it is just a, just a suspense piece. That's why it works. But again, because of Spielberg and because of those themes and because of the way that it was shot and the way that it was edited, like that's where it goes from a simple suspense movie that, you know, anyone could make that movie. Yeah. And it goes into, this is such an amazing, powerful movie. And, and again, like I mentioned that when I started talking about that theme of masculinity, that I love how subtle that theme is presented. Like it's not an in your face. This movie is about masculinity raw. It's just, you know, he's listened to the radio and he was listening to the radio as he was driving out of the city. And like, that just happens to be the story that he stops on. And, and yeah, the phone call with his wife is a little bit more blatant, but like you, you don't get a ton of, I'm going to like drive this theme home to make sure you understand this is what the movie is. And that's why it works. Like that's why you're able to go with the main character and be on that journey with him. And, and again, like relate to his reasons why he's doing some of this and, and understand. And even though he might not be an ideal character in terms of, again, letting his wife practically be raped and, and not being there for his kids because he has to go do this work thing and he's not going to be home by when he said he was. And, and like all of these other things that give flavor to the story, they don't need to be there. But without them, oh my god, this is a drastically different movie that just doesn't have the same impact. Oh, for sure, yeah. It all it all feeds into what I think the more important um, thing was for Spielberg and Matheson, which was that he, you know, masculinity aside, it's more those things are there, obviously, between the radio broadcast and the conversation with his wife but it's really more about him just stepping up as a human yeah you know he, he he's not um he's not a very strong person in general <laughs> and then and um you know I, I but you know one thing i love about that though is that dennis weaver didn't care about going there like so many actors would worry about their image in that way i think wouldn't want to go there but his the way he I mean, there's wide angle shots of those close-ups of him, like, no, 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 at the, at the, at the wheel of the car and he's sweating and he's 
uh, you know, has all the screaming in a, high, in a really high pitched way. Even when he, at the end, when the big uh, moment happens, the, the sounds he's making are just, it's just, he, he really uh, went there. So he, he was very um, unbridled and didn't care about how he looked. He's, he's always been that way as an actor, even in touch of evil, like Dennis Weaver is so um, he's one of the great character actors, I think. And he was, it's so great that he, decided to do it you know yeah i uh i, I love that this movie is essentially man versus machine literally <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> so it does not this is yeah this doesn't throw any softballs in terms of its uh <laughs> thematic or it's um um uh what's the word i'm looking for like analogies or whatever yeah it's like uh yeah, we're going to name him man <laughs> pretty on the nose um, on on the grill as it were uh yeah, on the grill <laughs> so speaking of the ending scene um you know that his life is not going to turn out well because first off you know he already kind of hates his job and wasn't able to get to that meeting that I, I forget exactly what he was saying but something about like oh if i don't get there then blah 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 this other person's gonna get it and whatever so whatever right. his reasoning was for i need to be at this meeting and not home with my family well that obviously didn't pan out for him and um yeah. <laughs> you know like w- with his wife and eh, maybe he's gonna actually step it up and maybe he'll say something to the dude that almost raped her but also you know he's still not home with his family uh, but more importantly, with what Dan said earlier of the only person that could corroborate a story is crazy reptile lady who is probably known around the parts as crazy reptile lady. <laughs> and like, you know, and, and the truck driver is gone. And so at best, no one believes him. And he just kind of starts getting a reputation of being a crazy person who shouldn't be allowed around cars. At How do you worst, even claim that on your insurance? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like, is, is that an act of God, an act of, you know, nature? What, what happens there? At its worst, he's arrested for murder. Mm. And it's just like, this is not going to turn out well for him. And that's the reason that I love that ending scene where he's just sitting there, just kind of like throwing rocks in the dirt. I think that he knows the, the things aren't okay now this is over but it's not yeah. better now i have to deal with these repercussions and um and and <laughs> yeah, uh gotta... what, matt you mentioned uh texas chainsaw massacre earlier but the ending to me feels very last house on the left of just it's over mm-hmm. now what mm-hmm. and yeah. god i love it I, I love that ending because of how anticlimactic it is after the explosion obviously you know that's a nice fun climactic piece but like after that when he's just sitting there roll credits it's like i what oh i'm sad i know that i should be cheering but i'm i'm sad yeah it's it's not a triumphant moment for him at all that he finally won you know this was if this film was made in the eighties, you know, you've got Stallone or Schwarzenegger flexing yeah. as the camera, you know, <laughs> zooms away out and everything. Yeah. And this guy, it's just no sad office drone playing in dirt. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I like that. It's not. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> it's like a Stallone ending or the ending of. Uh, remember the movie Breakdown? 
<laughs> JT Walsh, uh, you know, has already fallen on, into a creek bed. He's got to be paralyzed. He's laying <laughs> down there. And then Kathleen Quinlan has to detach the truck from the bridge and drop it on him just to be sure. <laughs> and it's this try. And then she and Kurt Russell hug and it's this triumphant. Um, yeah, this one really leans into the, uh, uh, you know, there's that moment where David Mann has watched the truck careen off the cliff and he's he's tricked tricked the guy into hitting his car and driving off the cliff and he's watching it and the car's roll and the truck is rolling down and there's all that dust and it's an amazing slow motion shot and he squeals like he squeals in high-pitched like triumph triumphant like high-pitched squeal <laughs> um, and like earlier, I was saying, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, wow, that's not all actors would would do that. Some, most guys would go, yeah, you, God, you, motherfucker, whatever, you know. But, uh, well, they wouldn't say that in a TV movie. But yeah, he like squeals sure, and he's would. like, they would just edit it. I, I did it. I did it. And then immediately, yeah, he sits down. And as the sun is setting, he just starts throwing rocks. And you see him just thinking about not only dealing with it, he's killed somebody. Granted, yeah, they were trying to kill him, but he's killed somebody. He's not going to have that job. How's he going to get home? How's he going to get out of here? Where is he? Uh, what is this? How has this changed him? Like what, what, what therapy is he going to have to have because of this trauma, all this stuff. And you just see that in that one shot. Yeah. It's like, Oh man. I mean, I still think overall for me, it, it's a triumph and he's probably going to come out of this with a new lease on life. And he's going to take some of this, positively into the future, but he's got a lot of shit to deal with too, but he's also not going to put up with any more shit. And, and and like you said, you know, when he was cheering with that high pitch, like, yeah, yeah. How much of that was him cheering? Thank God this is over. I can finally just get back to life. And how much of it was cheering of, I killed him, you know, like how much of it was uh, the, the excitement of safety and how much of it was the excitement of danger. Yeah, I think it was, uh, it, to me, it feels like I made it. I did it for a moment. Right. And then suddenly he's like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, 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 you mentioned before, it's Marilyn Burns in the back of the truck in Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. Yeah. Where she's like got that kind of relieved laugh that starts to get a little more worrisome as it continues. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's that, it's that same kind of feeling like, yeah, you lived, but you, you're not okay. Things <laughs> yeah. aren't. Yeah. Think your life is not going back to normal, no matter what. From this yeah. point on. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh. It's interesting. Oh. I, uh, I. It's it's a it's an amazing. It's one of those endings that gives you both. You know, you, mm-hmm. you have the, the the actual duel, and this amazing crash, which I agree with the filmmakers and you know, with Spielberg about not having the truck blow up in a giant fireball is, was the right way to go. Um, and it's still really creepy. By the way, not only is he, do we have that shot of Dennis Weaver sitting there? We've got these shots inside the truck that just feel icky of like the oil dripping, the fan still going, mm-hmm. tire slowly stopping. And there's, instead of an explosion, the explosion yeah. is replaced with like this slow, everything slowing down and stopping. Well, it's, it's, it's like, like the truck is a character. It, it you yeah. know, even though you do see the truck driver, it really is more like the truck is alive. And so 
by seeing the truck yeah. die again that is visual storytelling of you are seeing the truck driver truck driver die without needing to show him ever yeah they don't show yeah it's interesting how they don't show him at all in the cab of the wrecked truck he's just not yeah. there i think they even show a pretty wide shot of the cab and you don't see any part of him yeah, there, there was one scene that I thought that they showed him, but it was actually just like a super close up on Weaver. Um, and, <laughs> no. and so like then it zoomed. I was like, oh, yeah. wait, no, that that's the, that's the guy guy in the car, not the truck. Yeah. Well, with the advent of HD and the and Blu-ray and everything, you, there are a couple of shots where even though it's panning quickly or tilting, uh, you do see him, but it's so it's still pretty obscured. You know, yeah. you can't really see. uh uh, Carrie Lofton was his name, the stunt driver who played the t- truck driver. Well, yeah. You don't really ever see Carrie Lofton like fully. I mean, can you imagine there's so many, it, like all these things we're talking about, all these elements of cinematography and music and sound effects and all these choices that were made were really, really all do work to make this movie feel the way it does and be so suspenseful. Mm-hmm. And we're so ahead of their time. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Like this stuff just wasn't happening back then. And like you said, Nathan, like, it feels so familiar because so many movies have ripped it off. Yep. Yeah. It's, it was, it's a landmark achievement that I think people don't get, they don't give it enough credit. I think people all say, yeah, that's a really good movie. That's a really good suspense piece. But um, I really am hard pressed to think of a, a road movie or a hell on wheels, whatever you want to call it kind of movie. That's uh that did things the way this one does, you know, mm-hmm. aside from the voiceover, <laughs> <laughs> that voiceover. Yeah, that was uh, not, not a good scene. Uh, Which, by the way, they are, re- they, they did record it first and played it back while Dennis Weaver was acting. So he could hear himself, hear the, hear his thoughts. So it was, so it had to be written. Yeah. Because they wouldn't have done that if it wasn't written. So there you go. There's your answer. I totally forgot about that. It was written beforehand because he, recorded it and then they played it back on the nagra which was the old sound recording equipment they used to use they would played it back on the nagra for him to hear while he was acting that scene well that definitely uh clarifies <laughs> it but also yeah. makes me sadder <laughs> yeah. i was really hoping that it was studio interference yeah. but oh well no no yeah no duel duel is absolutely an amazing movie um I don't want to shortchange the conversation and I don't want to cut things off, uh, especially if there's still things that you want to mention about the movie, Matt. But I also don't want to keep dragging things out. If you're like, no, I've said everything that I want to say about it. Uh, I mean, I could keep, yeah, I I can't think of anything else, but I, when it comes to a movie like this, I, I could keep talking about it for hours, but yeah, I'm good. (laughs) I'm, I'm thinking I'm good. All right. So, um, no, I I think we've hit most of my notes. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was everything. Uh, where, where oh, there was one thing I noticed because it was HD and it kind of made it very interesting for me. Weaver isn't wearing a wedding ring the entire film. Huh. Oh, wow. Yeah. I noticed specifically in the diner scene and I was just like, that's interesting for a man who is seemingly not in the middle of the best marriage that he's out on the road without his wedding ring on. That's Don't interesting. Know that don't know if that was intentional or they just didn't think the technology would exist where we could pick that up at some point but yeah on the blu-ray i noticed no wedding ring Hmm. the um the only other thing that i had on on my list of notes was 
the truck driver uh, even though this was set in california very much feels like it could have been set in the uh, like logging trucks of the uh, appalachian mountains um yeah <laughs> and and not so much the the truckers because so far i've not had too many bad experiences with like you know actual tractor trailers but you know dude bros driving their pickup trucks with their giant flags on the back yep i have absolutely uh been in front of them on like mountain roads you know where i want to not die by driving my truck off into the river and so i'm going maybe slightly less than the speed limit and like dude bros will get right up on my ass and it's just like i'm not Uh, going faster because you know i want to live and then as soon as they get a moment to pass they are just like flooring it but they they get as close to my car as possible before they go around then like cut right back in front and then they usually end up brake checking me but it's like i was already going slow guys a brake check's not going to do shit for me right now (laughs) you know i'm coming down the mountain my foot is already on the brake uh Yeah. yeah so um yeah, I, I could I could very easily picture a real person like the dude in the the tractor trailer in Duel, but just driving a pickup truck with a yeah. flag on the back. <laughs> yeah, I thought about that when I was watching it this time too. Is like, what what happens if you change location? Obviously, the movie doesn't exist without a rural or a remote place. But what if instead of the desert, it was uh, it, it, this, it uh, more deciduous? Because you could, yeah, northern, the north. The north part of northern Maine, it's it's all logging trucks and there's specific roads essentially from the Canadian border to about Bangor, honestly, where the interstate system kind of starts from certain parts um, where it's two lane road through townships that are are named after numbers because they don't have names (laughs) where it's. Yeah. Wow. 200 miles of nothing. Oh, yeah. God. Where you don't, I mean, next time you see like a, a U.S. cellular commercial or a Verizon commercial where it shows you the nationwide map of 5G, look at Maine <laughs> and you're going to see the top part of Maine isn't covered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because it's all trees and mountains. And um, my, my dad, when I was a young, when I was probably like 10 or 12, was a long haul trucker for, a lumber company and I accompanied them a few times and yeah, we're talking from the tip of Northern Maine to Southern Maine. It's about six to seven hours of driving. If you're a logger Wow! and a good four and a half hours of that is no civilization whatsoever. So you go into Northern Maine, this is this, this, it probably happens more than anyone would (laughs) like to actually admit because you know, long haul trucking is boring. You yeah. have nothing to entertain yourself, but to preview a future episode, but these road games. Uh, so <laughs> uh, that's another one I thought about. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so yeah, you could easily transplant this to Northern Maine. You still have like cliffs. What is it? Kurt's cafe, cliffs cafe, whatever it was, uh, those yeah, little places chucks, still chucks. chucks. Those <laughs> places still exist. Yep. I mean, Oh yeah. my god! Okay, so the, the yeah. diner is essentially, you know, maximum overdrive is Stephen King talking about Dysart's diner, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> and the people that exist there. Yeah, yeah. these places absolutely still exist. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I'll probably tell the story again when I get uh, to another episode that it's a little bit more relevant to. But last time that I was in Alabama, I was going to a wedding, and I did not realize how far away the uh, wedding venue was 
from um from where I was staying and like after being on the road for a while and looking at my gas tank it was like ooh not good because it was <sighs> in the middle of nowhere like an honest to god i thought it was going to die kind of middle of nowhere and it was like wow. oh look a gas station finally but like the kind of gas station that looked even more run down than the ones in duel and like i pulled in and there was like a three-legged dog and like people just staring yeah. at me and i was like i might die here i should mm-hmm. probably keep going wow. i don't know when the next gas station is going to be like i <laughs> one of the most stressed moments in my entire life was whether or not i was going to get to another gas station get or to if i was going to die in the middle of the woods yeah or die at the hands of the gas station owner god after she says <laughs> You want to take a look at my snakes if you want. <laughs> Go look at my snakes. By the way, uh, that was all Spielberg. Like that, that was the, the snakes and spiders and all of that shit and spider awesome. crawling on Dennis Weaver. That was all Spielberg. That was not in the script. <laughs> the, all, the whole snake aspect and all that stuff. Oh, God, he loves so the good. snakes. Wants to bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> and if you watch 1941. Mm-hmm. The same character, Lucille Benson plays the exact same character at a gas station that John, John Belushi lands at with his plane. I haven't seen 1941 <laughs> since the probably mid 80s. So, yeah, it's it's, it's in the same disc, uh, box that I got. So maybe I'll have to throw that in. Throw time. that in and yeah, watch out for <laughs> Lucille Benson again. Also, she is uh, Mrs. Elrod in Halloween, too. Oh, oh. An actress. That's uh, Lucille Benson. Best known for Snake Arama Lady <laughs> and Mrs. Elrod. Oh, man. On that right. note. <laughs> there you go. There's, there's even more that we could talk about with, you know, the theme of masculinity with having, um, you know, a slithering phallic symbol trapped in a cage and getting smashed out. But we're not going to talk about that. What we are going to talk wow. about is, <laughs> is um, Matt, how rewatchable do you think duel is i find it extremely rewatchable i just watched it like i said a couple of years ago and revisiting it this week i was still just um really captivated by it and it's you know as someone who works in movies a lot and and makes them and watches a lot of movies it's it's hard to still get that feeling you know that uh, of just being completely taken in by a movie and this one still does that for me um, as well as I get, I mean, I'm almost, I almost get sweaty palms when I watch it too, just thinking about how hard it was to make <laughs> and like how, hard, how difficult it would be to get all of that material and how sharp it is, uh, in that amount of time that quickly. Well, I, I mean, you've, incredible. you've done that, uh, but we, we can come back <laughs> yeah. to some of your self-promotion as we're closing things out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I I did make a, mo- a movie very quickly in a sim- you know similarly very you know very quickly, but not in it was at one location. <laughs> this this was you know it, 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 Spielberg shot that whole thing uh, with you know with the exception of the pickups for the theatrical release, he shot it in shot it in ten days in so many locations. It's just so fucking crazy. Yeah, and it and it so yeah rewatchability. Um. 10 out of 10 on the rewatchability scale. I mean, it's, it's just so, I, I mean, I could watch it right now and be completely entertained again. 
Like, oh, yeah. and I just watched it. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got a ton of movies on my list that I need to get through over the next two months, and I'm probably going to rewatch this one at least once before <laughs> the uh, before the end of the series, just because. Nice. I mean, it's it, it's just so solid, and yeah. and even if the tension isn't as high as some of the other movies are going to be, the quality of the filmmaking, I feel like each time that I watch it, I'm I'm going to get more and more out of it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I. I it's one of those movies in addition to the things I already said of it still being captivating and also amazing to watch on a filmmaking level. It's also, it also uh, invigorates me to watch it as a filmmaker. It's like, Oh God, I was whining about this thing the other day and look at this. <laughs> F- you, Matt, just go do it. And, 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 and then it makes me excited again, you know, cause it's like the way it makes me feel, I want to do that. Next so time you get really great movie. Next time you get frustrated at any of the filmmaking things that you have to do, uh, just set aside some time, record an internal monologue of uh, all the things that you need to be doing and why the decisions, you know, like, oh, I could do this. I should have just left. No, I can't leave. And and then just uh, play your monologue on a speaker to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll just I'll just replay this part of the podcast over and over again and then rewatch Duel and I'll get my get my that'll be my own kick in the seat of my pants ah <laughs> uh, goodness uh dan what about you how rewatchable is duel for you uh, so rewatchable so rewatchable i don't know how often i'll actually rewatch it but it's not one of those i would ever dread having to rewatch i'd be like oh cool i get to watch this again right um, yeah. yeah like nine eight or nine maybe a ten depending on the mood but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very so weird it, it's so weird like jaws perfect movie and period duel not a perfect movie but it's so good and so amazing and it like if i was reaching for a spielberg film it probably wouldn't be the first one that i reach for just because you know jaws exists but Mm -hmm. like dan said anytime someone's like hey you want to watch duel yep Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah i mean i the only thing in this movie i again we said it already but the only thing i would take out is that voiceover you take the voiceover out of this and then tighten that seen a little by a little bit in the cafe perfect perfect movie and in some ways yeah jaws is a perfect movie this one is nearly perfect uh i in some ways admire the spareness of this movie more than jaws like the they're just different you know jaws is covering a lot more in terms of character and um character dynamics and politics and all of that but I think the spareness, the, the spare moments of Jaws, this one, the, the tension created in the spare moments of this one, and occasionally uh, can, tr- trumps it a little bit, I think, because it's a little, oh, God, I can't believe I just said the word Trump. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I think it, 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 it's even tighter in, some, in, in choice moments. Right. Overall, yeah, Jaws is the better movie. Right. Well, I mean, it's it's like we've been saying throughout this entire podcast. It's because Spielberg knows how to make a movie. So the things about Duel and the things about Jaws and the things about Jurassic Park and the things about even though not a Spielberg movie, but so, so, so very obviously like, you know, uh, studied at the the hands of Spielberg, uh, arachnophobia, like all of these movies the things that make them work are those little moments. They are uh, those, yeah. those uh, more emotional character beats. The other things are just what's happening around them. 
but uh yeah yeah this is all about action and suspense yeah uh so um matt i have a game that i want us to play before we play this i i want to mention one more thing so on some episodes we've done a beginning beginning middle and end where we take three completely unrelated movies and piece them together as if they are a trilogy and um dan and i were talking about this before the podcast and dan I've replaced what you suggested as the beginning, even though I love what you suggested um, because it totally works. Dan suggested American Beauty as the beginning and then Duel as the middle and then Falling Down as the end where you're following the same character. Again, like there's very loose connections in terms of you're following the same quote unquote character because you're piecing it together and saying, yep, that's totally what's happening. I have a much, <laughs> much more fun uh, trilogy. It's still going to have Duel in the middle, and it's still going to have Falling Down, where uh, Mr. Man is the same character, uh, you know, uh, David Weaver and uh, Michael Douglas. They're both playing the same person, and like the reason that Michael Douglas goes so far off the deep end is because he's already been through it once, and he's already, you know, just, just done with it. <laughs> However, the beginning... We're not following uh, the the Mr. Man character. We're following the truck driver. So the beginning of this trilogy is Smokey and the Bandit. (laughs) 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 And they're all, wait, you're saying these are all the same. They're all the the same character. They're all connected. (laughs) Yeah. So like watch Smokey and the Bandit and you're following the truck driver. And yeah. then, you know, because he's always chasing that next thrill, obviously at a certain point, he's going to get to the only throw left is murder. <laughs> and so then he starts turning into a murder truck. And that's where you pick up with Duel. And so are you uh, saying Burt Reynolds ends up driving murder trucks? Yes, yeah, so Burt Reynolds <laughs> is the murder yeah, truck like, is driver. It, is it Burt or Jerry? Yeah, what's his name? Jerry. <laughs> I, I, I love the pitch. Bruce, I mean, Burt Reynolds drives murder truck. Right there, I'm sold. <laughs> I mean, either one. It won't, wouldn't matter if it's Burt Reynolds or if it's uh, the the guy driving the tractor trailer. Either one, because you know they they both. Um, it, it's clear that Burt Reynolds drives the uh, semi sometimes. Anywho, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, Burt Reynolds drives murder truck. That's where you pick up with Duel and you know follow the story that we've just spent the last hour and a half talking about. And then, um, then you follow uh, D- David Weaver as uh, Mister Man goes into, you know, just back to work, back into just dead end job, back yeah. dealing with his wife that, you know, still tells him what to do, and not only tells him what to do, but they ended up getting a divorce because he was just, you know, now that he finally started speaking up, he got sick of her and left the kids at home, but he still loved the kids, and so he wanted to be there for their birthday. And then politics, not politics, but red tape got in the way. And so much in the same way that Burt Reynolds drives murder truck, um, Mr. Man <laughs> then goes on murder spree because Rampage. because he got a taste of blood and he liked it. Yeah. It's the only way to solve problems now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So, Matt, <clears throat> this game, it is called yep. Pitch Storm. And uh, this is very specifically the creature feature expansion. And there's actual rules to this game, but obviously we're not going to do all of the rules because we're not playing a full game. Uh, But how it works is there are character cards that give you a character or characters. 
there are plot cards which give you the plot of the movie. Yeah. And then there are notes from the producer. So I am going to randomly pull a, uh, a character card okay, and a plot card and, okay. uh, and, and you're going to have to pitch the, the movie. And because this is part of our transportation exploitation series, there has to be a, a vehicle element. So if it's not already okay. included in part of the character or the plot, you're going to have to throw in some, some vehicle centric thing. All right. Okay. So your character is two sisters obsessed with death. <laughs> and the plot is, Oh, it even said, I, I think that I missed this on the last time that we played. Uh, the, the setting is exterior swimming pool. Two sisters obsessed with death. Okay. The plot is <laughs> something oh, good. Be something good. <laughs> I feel like this one might be a little too on the nose, but uh, are trapped by a ghost in a burning building. So, oh my God. <laughs> so apparently it's an intern, uh, a, a inside swimming pool, not an outside swimming pool. But uh, yeah, setting is a swimming pool. Two sisters obsessed with death are trapped by a ghost in a burning building. Somehow <laughs> incorporate a vehicle and go. Okay. And, and, and do I, I don't have any time to think about this. I just have, I just have to go with this. Just, just go. Just go. Gut okay. instinct. Right. What, what so, you got? Uh, okay. Uh, two sisters, uh, Tracy and Samantha, have been dragged on a vacation with their parents uh, and they are staying at uh, the Embassy Suites in Miami, and it is a real drag. They are not getting along with their parents, and they really didn't want to go on this trip because all they really want to do is sit around their Ouija board at home and try to uh, get ghosts to come to their house and talk to them because they, are, they want to know what the afterlife is like, but they may get to find out sooner than they think <laughs> dun, when dun, they go dun. down to the swimming pool at midnight, they discover uh, from the old groundskeeper at the embassy suites that the <laughs> hotel was built on top of a cemetery and they only moved the headstones. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Tracy and Samantha, Tracy surprises Samantha by showing her that she snuck out in the middle of the night, the night before and went to an old uh, antique shop and got another Ouija board and at midnight they go down by the pool and perform a ceremony resurrecting the dead that have been laying in wait underneath the hotel the dead uh, are very aggressive and try to possess them so they try to escape by getting on the elevator our mode of transport and as they are trying <laughs> Trying to go up as many floors as possible, the swimming pool explodes and water begins to flood the building floor by floor, trapping them on the elevator and time is running out. Mm, nice. I like it. I like it. I like it. I do have one. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I do have one note, though. Can we set this whole thing on a derelict space station? Sure. Hey, yeah. Uh, so this takes place in the future. So you're just dark cityying this thing yeah. right here. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
In the near future, Tracy and Samantha are obsessed with the past. They're obsessed with antiques. And one of them discovers a that uh, discovers a Ouija board, a Ouija board is. <laughs> so they grab, so they, uh, they, they're, they're a bit afraid to use it, but when their parents drag them on a trip into the, uh, out to the uh, outer reaches of the galaxy to outside near the planet uh, Iris, where there's a huge, the 10th planet that orbits uh, the sun just outside, uh, further out than Pluto, there's a space station that's been built there and they take them to the space station on a, on a vacation. It's, it's like the luxury spot to go in, in space. Uh, but they don't want to do anything like that. They want to just go to the pool at the embassy suites, the embassy suites in space. <laughs> and so they go there and pretty much the rest of it can play out how it's written. Um, they're on an elevator and the embassy suites and the pool starts flooding the building. Uh, and they're contending with uh, the rising waters as well as uh, underwater ghosts. <laughs> because what they don't realize is that there's a, not only is there a, a cemetery, but this entire space station um, was built <laughs> on space ghosts on uh, on top of space ghosts, <laughs> and uh, and 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 uh, the ghosts though aren't human ghosts; they're alien ghosts. Mm. And the space station is orbiting orbiting around a a planet that is now encased in ice because it's so cold out there. But back in the day, and I mean billions of years ago. This planet was warm and, mm-hmm. you know, f- f- flooded with, there were tons of oceans <laughs> and a very hyper intelligent aquatic species. And they were wiped out by humans so that the humans could build uh, a space station there and not have to worry about interference. <laughs> and now they're coming back for revenge. And only in Tracy and Samantha know how to stop them. I would one. <laughs> thousand percent watch that movie <laughs> yeah i would i would uh not trust myself to make it then, but, oh, on, I would, but i would watch it just make it with puppets yeah <laughs> it's just a puppet movie That's oh all. my god ah <clears throat> oh, that was a lot of fun <laughs> I liked I liked it before the producer interference. Frankly, <laughs> it, was, it was a more grounded film. <laughs> but see, that's where the fun comes in. It's like you yeah. have because, like the the characters and plot, most of those make sense. You know, like it, yeah. it, any of these put together, it's like all right, fine, I can make a movie with that. But then you get the uh, the producer notes, and you're like, God damn it! <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not I wonder movie. if yeah. It's also tough to immediately. It's also tough to immediately launch into a pitch with just these elements. I would love if if I, I I like the space station idea, and I feel like I could have, with thirty seconds of incorporating the elements of both, I could have come up with something pretty goddamn great. Wasn't there a, a, a sci-fi movie with Chris Pratt where the um uh, oh shit who else was in that movie? Uh, where the woman in the movie like wasn't she swimming in a space pool? What? I mean, yeah. Um, oh, passengers. Was it passengers? That one with Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That, yeah. No, that no one watched because the reviews were the worst. Yeah, I, I didn't see it. 
but I think that it does happen in the movie. It's a Chris Pratt, uh, Jennifer Lawrence uh, swimming pool. It's essentially the Blue Lagoon. Yeah. In space? No, I don't know. I'm making that. <laughs> you, you know what? Uh, I'm 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 on board with that. Let's say that it is. Yeah, yeah. Now I do kind of want to watch that. I totally <laughs> forgot about that movie. Oh, uh, well, that was fun, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I love ending with us. <laughs> A stressful game. Oh man, <laughs> this. Uh, yeah, um, I I enjoy this. Glad. <laughs> we're here for your pleasure that's why do you think i've done 300 episodes of this (laughs) to amuse myself yeah well i don't blame you that was that was a blast though i love talking about movies that i like duel is one of them and it was i i thoroughly enjoyed the dead silence conversation that we had last time but that's a tougher movie to 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 talk about there's so many yeah that's yeah, sounds, I feel like we had so movie. much more to say because it could have been such a great movie. Yeah. It's one of those painful movies to watch because there's so much potential. Yeah. Instead, it's very. Eh. Duel is just like, this movie is awesome. Like, honest to God, I was worried that we weren't going to have more than about an hour's worth of content because I was like, we're just going to be in agreement. This movie is awesome. And yeah, yeah. And <laughs> just not getting into those details. But then I remember that I like words. Oh God. All right. Uh, Matt, (laughs) where can people find you? What are some of the projects that you can plug? Um, Where can Mm. people find the various work that you've done, such as dementia part two, which uh, anyone Mm. listening who has not yet seen dementia part two, fucking watch it now. Oh my God. I love that movie. (laughs) It's so it, it, it is just, it's delicious. I love it. Oh, wow. Thanks. Thank you uh, for such a nauseating movie. I appreciate that you <laughs> oh, think it's, it's delicious. It's so disgusting. Um, yeah, Dementia Part 2 is totally out now and available. Uh, the Blu-ray, I would highly recommend the Blu-ray because there's all kinds of special features, uh, which finally came out. It didn't quite, meet, didn't quite make the street date because of some uh, issues with uh, the, the manufacturer didn't have any Blu-ray cases because the pandemic had slowed down Blu-ray <laughs> case shipping, but Apparently they got them and Darkstar managed to get the, our distributor managed to get those out. So that is totally viable now. And uh, where do you, you recommend people, player? where do you recommend people buy them? Is there a specific platform from which you want to buy them? Does, uh, yeah, they're available at Best Buy, um, Walmart, all the big, I think I saw one on Amazon the other day. They're, they're findable pretty much anywhere. Um, and then, uh, you know, if you don't have a Blu-ray player, you should get you can get it digitally on Amazon or iTunes or any of those fine streaming or VOD and streaming retailers. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, uh, yeah, otherwise, I've just been working on uh, a couple of other projects. Working on a feature right now. Working on just made another short with my co-director from Dementia Two, Mike Teston. We kind of just did this thing for fun the other night. And uh, and you can find me at on twitter at mercer shark as well as on instagram same handle m-e-r-c-e-r shark that's it <laughs> and i i can't say much about the next feature because i'm not it's not mine it's someone else directing it and i've been sworn to secrecy but it's a it's a fun 
super violent romp. (laughs) Very splattery, very violent. Mm, can't wait so fun yeah. i i mean i've I've loved everything that i've seen that you've been involved in um it's all about to change no i'm kidding <laughs> well i i was just remembering there's something else that you were involved in that i started watching but i didn't uh-huh. yet have a chance to finish it and oh. i need to go back oh. because it seems like the kind of movie that i will <laughs> enjoy because of how bad it is Oh, but in, I was going to say, what? which one is it now? I don't know. <laughs> because it seems like the kind of bad where the people involved with it were having fun, knowing that it's bad and, and just having fun. Um, but you're talking about dementia, too. No, no I am <laughs> talking about the one um, where you are going to like some corporate um, like corporate retreat. And like there's a shark, I think. Oh, mm hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep okay and i i, I started so that also it, much like duel a tv movie <laughs> <laughs> which is now all it's not just a tv <laughs> actually rented stuff now but oh yeah yeah oh, damn sharks yeah, yeah. Th- that's right yeah yeah that was when sci-fi was literally i mean maybe they, i think they're still doing their shark week but they were just churning them out and uh that so the company called Cinetel produced that. And we, man, that was another one we made so fast. And those CGI sharks are so <laughs> bad. They're so bad. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Uh, that was fun though. It was really cold. That was a very cold movie. That's what I remember about that. But by no means do you have to finish that. It's, <laughs> it's, you really. Oh no. <laughs> I enjoy it. I am going it, to. It's, it's fun to watch. It's, it's a, it's fun. I mean, it's I, entertaining. I, I love horrible shark movies. I watched uh, uh, Sharkenstein recently, I think. <laughs> okay. so, and it's bad. It's not good. But, yeah. you know, I, I have fun with them. So if it's a bad shark movie, I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll check it out. And yeah. when I was scrolling through, I think Tubi is uh, is where it was at. And I was okay, like, damn so sharks. Did. I need to look at that one. And I was like, oh, hey, Matt. Matt's in that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll start watching this one. Yeah. And, Oh, I'm glad it's streaming somewhere now. That's good. It's uh, well, am I? I don't know, but it's um, <laughs> I am. Yeah, it was it was fun to make. It's good. It was a good group. Um, and it was very cold. And I got to do the most fun thing on that was the, all the underwater. I got to do a lot of underwater acting. I think I had two days of underwater scenes, <laughs> so that was fun doing stuff underwater. So if you like terrible shark movies, go watch uh, Damn Sharks. If you do not like terrible shark movies then watch dementia part two because it's very goopy and gross and disgusting yes and the the sound design (laughs) will make you want to vomit and i mean that in the best way possible (laughs) like this seriously dan there's one scene in particular where uh the the sound design is just so squelchy that every time i watch it i I get a little sick to my stomach yes that's awesome thank you Yep. All right, Dan, <laughs> where do you want people to find you? Uh, you can find me over at my blog, HBO to Front Row, where you can continue to read about my adventures as a 15 to 25 year old uh, cinephile slash screw up. And you can also see me over <laughs> on Twitter at HBO to Front Row. I mean, HBO to Front Row. It's, it's like Clerks, the blog. <laughs> It, it, it really is just it's a little more sad than clerks <laughs> it's like if, if every scene was like the the post dead person in the bathroom 
scene. (laughs) (laughs) That's sad. We shall move on from that. Uh, You can follow me slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Video Monster Pod. You can also follow me personally on Letterboxd at the gargoyle that's g-a-r-g-y-l-e because it's a gargoyle wearing an argyle sweater and if you enjoyed this episode and want to keep coming back just be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and uh while you're there you know write some reviews leave some of those five star ratings upvote us all of the lingo that people who are hip to the pods know what to do you know what to do you're listening to us go tell us that you like us And be sure to keep coming back as we spend the next two months focusing on uh, horror movies centering around transportation. And uh, the the full title is probably going to keep getting longer over the next two months. Uh, I oh, wow. joke. <laughs> I know. I the joking. final episode of the podcast will be just the title for <laughs> 90 minutes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we've said that jokingly, but also a little bit of challenge accepted. Um, and, uh, yeah, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those places, um, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And also if you want to join in on these conversations, uh, be sure to join our discord server. Um, that is where we do a lot of our chatting and texting between the episodes and also every Tuesday night at nine 30 Eastern. Uh, we're doing live podcasts where you can actually watch us and, you know, all of the f**ks that I edit out of the episode, you can hear them unedited, which, you know, you can, you can finally hear what it sounds like when I say f**k and, and, and it doesn't just sound like <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> oh, finally, <laughs> it is a beautiful sound and I'm going to stop there before that turns into a conversation that it probably shouldn't. All right. Well, this was a pleasure, guys. And I, I want yes. to point out, Dan sent a message to us on Messenger there that I completely <laughs> didn't see until now that there's a board game. I so, forgot yeah, to mention that. There was a that. dual board game. Yes, apparently it's terrible, but I spent a good hour and a half today trying to find it on the internet, and <laughs> nobody nobody is relinquishing their copies for sale, apparently. <laughs> well, and wow. It is All right. not out there. The thing that I so, find so fascinating, it's a Parker Brothers board game. So yeah. it's not like wow. some weird, like, um, uh, uh, oh, shit, why am I drawing a blank? Uh, it's not like a Mondo game where, right. you know, like they're doing super obscure. Re- no, this was like a, here's a Spielberg movie. We're a mainstream board game company. Let's make a board game about killing someone. Yeah. <laughs> you get a masculine points and whatnot. <laughs> you get what? You get emasculation points. Yeah. <laughs> your wife calls your name, calls your names. You get beat up at a truck stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's like golf where you're trying to go for the lowest score. I have no idea whether or not that's true, but yeah, I uh, I, I need a copy of that. If there's anyone out there yeah. listening who has a copy of the, uh, the the dual board game, send it to Video Monsters and we will play it and review it and have fun with it. Not give it back. <laughs> and then keep it into our collection. You never gave us a board game. <laughs> so what board game? What are you talking about? There's not a dual board game. That's ridiculous. That was a TV movie in the early 70s no one even knows about. It's a board game. <laughs> you must be thinking of Clue. That's the murder <laughs> game you're thinking of. F*** you. <laughs> 
bleep that out. All right, guys. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, Matt, as always, this has been an absolute blast, and we look forward to having you back. All right. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Good night, guys. Good night. Good night. Bow, chicka, wah, 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 wah.